just like to welcome everyone that's joining us now for our live stream. This is only one part of our service here at City Temple. If you'd like to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email or just come down and see us here at Chelsea Community Church because we're together with Chelsea Community Church uh, in this time. And we'd love to have you and love to, to meet you and see you. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and chapter 11. So I'm going to read a portion in both. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and chapter 11. Before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you choose to speak to us through your word. I pray that you would do that today as we come here into your presence. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully, through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Amen. Just realized I might want to put on my glasses to read there. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to uh, pick up with verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And then skip over to chapter 11, starting with verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we are judged but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Amen. So as we do every uh, first Sunday of the month, normally, we're going to share the Lord's Supper today. And, uh, and it's something that is very meaningful to me. I don't really talk about it a whole lot. I've been doing this for quite a number of years now. Uh, but the Lord's Supper is very precious and very special, and it's easy to forget that. Uh, it's one of the things I love about going up to the Isle of Lewis. Uh, up on Lewis, the churches have a tradition that when they have the Lord's Supper, it's a five-day event. So it starts normally on uh, Thursday night, and they'll have a Thursday night worship service, and then uh, sometimes a, a daytime service on Friday for Gallic speakers, then a Friday night worship service, and each service has its own uh, focus and function, and then they'll have another service on Saturday, uh, then they'll have Sunday morning, and Sunday morning is when they have the Lord's Supper, and then Sunday night is a Thanksgiving service, and then Monday night they have uh, usually a final service, and sometimes in the past they would have more than one service a day. So it was quite an event and quite an undertaking, and people would gather all around. Uh, there's almost no church on the island that has the Lord's Supper on the same weekend as any other church. And that's because people love to go to other churches for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And many times they bring in guest speakers. I had the privilege of being up in uh, Barvis at the Church of Scotland there, uh, kind of our church home up there on Lewis. Uh, back a few years ago uh, to be the guest speaker uh, and they bring them from all over the island or sometimes from all over the world and it's a real precious and special time and uh, and people really take it quite seriously as you can imagine and, and growing up I mean that I experienced it probably as you did in in a lot of different ways I mean primarily when I was growing up the whole thing was Oh, it's, it's really, it's really got to be solemn and quiet. And the guys up on, on Lewis are really solemn and quiet for the Lord's Supper itself, but can get pretty rowdy, at least from a Lewis kind of standpoint, uh, for the other meetings and things, uh, which is kind of good. But I remember, you know, everybody you know, just kind of bowing their heads and it's like, oh, God, don't strike me dead. I'm going to eat this. And then, and then they get these little, these little flat, uh, they call them wafers, but it was like plastic styrofoam, really. And they tasted terrible. 
they tasted awful, you know, and had that. And so, and then I remembered, you know, the innovation when they got the little, little bitty chunks of bread. And of course, in some churches do wine, and some churches do grape juice. Uh, I actually would prefer wine. Our tradition at City Temple recently has been grape juice. And in the States, it's mostly grape juice because we don't go to bars. You know, good Christians don't go to bars. We don't consume alcohol and things like that. So you gotta watch, and you might trigger, you know, somebody into an addiction or something if you have wine for communion. That's okay. Uh, you know, I can, I can live with that, except for one time in seminary. I was at a Lutheran church, and, uh, and so the cup came around, and I took, I took the, the, the wine in on that, and, uh, and I almost spit it out because it was like vinegar. Uh, and I later learned that all of the Lutheran ministers in the community where my seminary was, I went to Presbyterian Seminary, but there were a lot of Lutherans around, that they all had a club and they were all making their own wine and serving it for communion. And this stuff was, it was just terrible. Thankfully, I think I only had to have Lord's Supper at that church one time, you know. And then there's this latest innovation, which I'm just not sure I, I'm, I'm really good with. Uh, it's not bad, necessarily. It's like fast food Lord's Supper, where you come in and you're given this little cup on the top of it, has a little piece of bread, uh, and then the juice is underneath, and you strip it off, you know? So, so it's like, you know, have communion, we'll travel. You could go, you know, that stuff would last probably 100 years, uh, and if you had enough of them, you could serve yourself communion for a very, very long time. You know, so there's just so many different kinds of traditions and so many different ideas around communion. And then, golly, some people get really uptight. I mean, the Roman Catholics, God bless them, they get really uptight about the Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, well, you're, you're a <coughs> Protestant. You can't, you can't eat here. You know, and for a long time, the Roman Catholics would only let you have the bread, not the wine. Uh, and it was actually the Protestants, you know, if you're a Roman Catholic, you're watching this, uh, and you get to drink the wine as well as eat the bread, thank the Protestants, because we made the Roman Catholics jealous by giving everybody bread and wine together. And, uh, and so, you know, and that's why the, Roman, the Catholics now will serve bread and wine together. You know, so some people get really, really uptight about it. I got in so much trouble in my first church with this. Oh, Chad might re remember this. No, I think you were gone by then, Chad. Uh, I got in so much trouble in my first church because I've always had this policy of, you know, afterwards, we've got bread left over. By the way, I've always done, all, all the years I've done this, I've done one loaf. And actually, even though we've got all these little bitty ones for COVID's sake, they all come out of the same loaf. And that's very intentional because it's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10. You know, there's one loaf and we are one body. And so it's all part of that one loaf, that one batch that produces. I don't know what's going to happen when we have seven, 800 people. We're going to have to have a bigger kitchen. But, uh, you know, right now it serves us okay. Uh, but uh, I remember my first church, we always let the kids come up and have it. And boy, some of the women in that church, they got so mad at me. It's just like, this is sacrilegious. You can't do that. And, uh, and, I, and I'm like, well, what should we do with it? And they said, well, you give it to the birds. And I'm like, don't you really get the difference between that? I mean, it's really hard. But bless them. I mean, it's because 
people tend to take it very seriously. And we should take it seriously because it's very important. Historically, the Lord's Supper is extremely important for us as Christians. And it doesn't matter what flavor of Christian you are, the Lord's Supper has meaning and value. Now, I, some people get way too relaxed about it as well. Uh, I know I remember very early on hearing about one youth leader that decided to serve communion to uh, the youth in his group using uh, crisps and orange juice. I'm sorry, that's not the Lord's Supper. I mean, it's bread and the fruit of the vine. I mean, we fudge a little bit with wine, but okay, uh, with you know, but it's bread and the fruit of the vine. That's it. Uh, and whether or not you believe that the wine that Jesus multiplied in uh, John 2 was alcoholic or non-alcoholic, I guess it's kind of immaterial, by the way, it was alcoholic, if you're really wanting to know. But uh, anyway, it's bread and wine. I mean, that's, a, that's very important that we have that. But normally I tell people, just go with the flow wherever you are. Because we fought enough wars over the Lord's Supper. You know, we don't need to fight anymore. We've had enough division over the Lord's Supper. We don't need any more division. One of the big issues on the Lord's Supper, by the way, uh, is just, uh, I've not even gotten to the sermon yet, but uh, this is just all the introduction. One of the, one of the big, uh, big questions around the Lord's Supper is whether children should be able to eat the bread and drink the wine. And the rule that we follow here at City Temple is that children of believing parents are welcome to come to the table. So, so the kids of believers are part of the kingdom of God. Uh, and that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But it's important then that we understand the Lord's Supper and instead of getting caught up in all the divisions and all the disputes around it, I thought maybe we should look at what the Bible says about it, in particular what Paul was saying about it there in 1 Corinthians because that's the, the largest exposition of the Lord's Supper outside of where Jesus actually serves the Lord's Supper in the Gospels. And so it's important to look. And I think the Lord's Supper is important for us because right now, in the body of Christ, we're struggling with a number of problems. I mean, the body of Christ is struggling with idolatry. Uh, we don't worry, worship little idols, but we tend to worship big worship leaders. We tend to worship big preachers. Uh, there is an idolatry problem in the body of Christ, and actually, the Lord's Supper can help us to address that. Uh, there is divisions in the body of Christ. Thankfully, that's not the case with Chelsea, uh, and that's not the case with City Temple. But there are divisions that are in the body of Christ. We're going to resist those, but you know what? The Lord's Supper is God's antidote to those divisions. There's individualism in the body of Christ. People wanting to do their own thing and be their own person and live for themselves. But the Lord's Supper addresses that whole issue of individualism. And there's a whole lot of unworthy worship in the body of Christ. I'm becoming more and more sensitized to the amount of unworthy worship. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. 
But the Lord's Supper begins to deal with that issue as well. Now, unless you get too kind of depressed by that, I just want you to know that there were idolatry and divisions and individualism and unworthy worship even in the early church because Corinth was dealing with all of those issues. I mean, if you want to talk about a messed up church, Corinth was really messed up. I mean, I wouldn't want to be the pastor of Corinth. Uh, and Corinth, well, it was messed up all the way into the, into the second century. We have letters that were written by bishops to Corinth in the 90s and the early hundreds saying, come on, guys, get your act together, dealing with the same issues that Paul was dealing with, which is kind of extraordinary. So hopefully we can learn a little bit and, and deal with this a little bit better uh, than they did. You know, so we need to zero in and let's see what the Lord says, what God says in his word about the Lord's Supper. And let's make sure, despite the differences of opinion that might exist across the body of Christ, and there will always be those differences of opinion. And by the way, if you, if you, a lot of people say, well, there's so many differences of opinion and things like that. That means that the church is not really God's church. That's wrong. Most people miss this in the passage that we read today. But Paul says, you know, I hear you guys that there are divisions among you, which, aren't not, which ought not to be. And we say, yeah, that's right. But then notice what he goes on to say. He says, but there have to be factions among you so that you can determine who's right. God has designed us to have differences of opinion and to even kind of coalesce together with other people with differences of opinion so that through those differences of opinion, we might discern truth. So rather than something that shows the weakness of the body of Christ, it's actually something that the differences that we have and different denominations and things like that are rightly understood. Now, sometimes they're wrongly understood. Uh, but rightly understood, those differences are God's gift to us to help us decide what's right and what's wrong. Otherwise, the whole lot of us could fall into massive deception. And many times have in history. And if you want to see examples of that, you can look at other religions of the world that don't have that diversity, and I won't mention any of those here. So there's two main things here looking at these texts from Paul that we need to get at uh, in order to embrace the Lord's Supper, to get to the Lord's Supper, to understand it biblically, and then to allow the Lord's Supper to become the resource that God has given us to overcome idolatry and divisions and individualism and unworthy worship. The first thing we have to, to get at is that we must embrace the Lord's Supper as given by Jesus and passed down by the Apostle Paul to the church. In other words, we are not free to come up with our own ideas about the Lord's Supper. We are not free to say, well, this is what I think it is, and yeah, we should have uh, potato crisps and, uh, and OJ, maybe with a little vodka so we can get the alcohol in there, and celebrate the Lord's Supper that way. You're not free to do that. You're not free to do it because Jesus gave it 
and he gave it to Paul, and Paul's handed it down to us, and so we've got it in the Bible, and we've got it at least five different times so that we know that we know that we know what it is. At least four different times. Jesus didn't quite go into the same detail in, in John. So, what is the Lord's Supper as given by Jesus? The first, the Lord's Supper is sharing in the body and blood of Jesus. It's sharing in the body and blood of Jesus. Now, there's different opinions about what that means. You know, if you talk to Roman Catholics, they come up with something called transubstantiation. That means that after I pray this prayer and, uh, and pray over the, the cup, pray over the bread, that this becomes literally the body and the blood of Jesus. It's his actual body and his actual blood. Uh, and that's behind the tradition, if you've ever seen it in a church, where you drink the whole thing and you eat all the bread because you don't want to leave Jesus' body you know, rotten on the streets or throw it in the bin, right? If it's his actual body, that's kind of disgraceful. And so they believe that it actually becomes that and that if you don't recognize that Jesus' body is actually this, then you're eating and drinking in a way that's going to get you judged and probably will kill you. And that's why they're so meticulous about making sure that only baptized Catholics take the Lord's Supper. And so I don't blame them on that. They want to, they want to keep me safe. That's okay. You know, I love them. Uh, and, and they can have that understanding. It's not what I believe. It's not what I believe the Bible teaches. But there's that. Then you've got the Lutherans. And the Lutherans, you know, Martin Luther, he was Roman Catholic, and he wanted to change things, but not too much. So he came up with the idea that's often referred to as consubstantiation. So that when you eat the bread and you take the cup, that the body and blood of Christ is in, under, and through the bread and the wine, but it is not the bread and the wine. So it's like you're mostly taking it, but... Uh, the, the substance of the body and blood are with the bread and the wine spiritually, but they are not the bread and the wine. And that's good. Then you had Swingley, uh, this guy down in, in, uh, in uh, Switzerland. And Swingley was like, no, come on, Luther, you're an idiot. And uh, he said, this is nothing more than a memorial. It's just a way to remember Jesus. You know, that's all it is. We remember Jesus. And, you know, this is just kind of basically represents the body and blood of Jesus, but it's not really the body and blood of Jesus. And it's just a memorial that anybody can do. And it's, you know, it's not that special, but, uh, but it's important because Jesus gave it to us. And then Calvin, John Calvin, he's the guy that came a little bit later. Uh, and, uh, and he said, no, you're all wrong. But, of course, Calvin had the advantage of hindsight. Uh, he says, you're all wrong that uh, Jesus is really present here in the body and in the blood, uh, in, in, the, in the bread and in the wine. He's really present. This is a memorial. It's a remembrance meal. But Jesus is present with us in a way that he's not normally present. Because we all know Jesus is with us. Where two or more are gathered in his name, there I am in the midst of them. But for Calvin, he saw that there was something deeper in this. It's a re remembrance, it's a memorial, but it's more than a memorial, but this doesn't become Christ's body and blood, 
And if you happen to throw it out, it doesn't mean that you're throwing out Christ's body or that which is almost synonymous with the body of Christ. And that's what our tradition is here. It all comes down to this concept, though, of the word sharing. And oftentimes we miss this because we use that word share in a lot of different ways, but it's the biblical word koinonia, the Greek word koinonia, uh, which is often translated as fellowship. And as I've said before, fellowship is more than having a pizza and a beer, which is kind of like the equivalent of having bread and wine. It's more than that. It's an actual sharing of who we are with one another. It's an actual sharing of our lives. There is a dynamic here in the bread and the wine. Jesus said, you know, this, this, the cup that we drink, is it not a participation? That's a koinonia, a sharing in the blood of Christ. Is the bread not a sharing in the body of Christ? There is a spiritual dynamic here that as we eat the bread and drink the cup, it's like we are embracing once again the body and blood of Jesus Christ for us, for what he's done. And Jesus is here present in our midst in a very special way as we do this sharing, this koinonia. So this means if we're going to embrace it, we need to understand it's more than just a memorial. There is a koinonia with Jesus that happens here in a very vital, real way, albeit spiritual, that we need to honor and respect. And we must understand the second part of this is that the Lord's Supper is a sacred sacrament. It's holy. It's been set apart by God, and it's not something that's common. You know, so in the early church, they would have a meal together, but as part of the meal, they would stop just the eating, and then they would have the Lord's Supper. And they'd do the, the remembrance part in the Lord's Supper. And what Paul was criticizing them is that uh, the rich Corinthians, they would come early to the meetings and to the meal, and they'd eat. And before you knew it, they not only ate all the food, they ate all the communion elements. So that when the poor Corinthians finally got off work, they came to service hungry, and, and they couldn't even have communion. And Paul's like, guys, this is not the way it's going to be. It's got to be different, because this is something that's sacred. This is something that's set apart and valuable and special. In a sense, you might think of it in one way like the, the secret recipe. Uh, I, I didn't realize there were so many secret recipes, like Kentucky Fried Chicken, Coca-Cola, Krispy Kreme Donuts. Who knew Krispy Kreme Donuts has a secret recipe? Heinz Ketchup. Who knew? I just thought it was tomatoes. It's not. And the one, Iron Brew. Iron Brew. It's a secret recipe. In fact, only two people in the entire world know the recipe of iron brew, and they can't be in the same place at the same time in case one of them gets killed. That's true. That's true. I mean, that's special. Now, in our tradition, uh, in our Reformed tradition, coming flowing down from Calvin and the like, the sacredness is preserved in the way that we say that only ordained ministers pastors like myself should officiate uh, or elders who have been trained to do so uh, should officiate and then the elders should serve it. Now, other traditions are slightly different and um, they'll have a different way of honoring 
the sacredness of it. But for us, that's very important. That's why we don't encourage someone to go off and say, hey, I'm just going to have a spontaneous Lord's Supper event. Well, you can do that. But actually, that's not really honoring the sacredness of the sacrament. And you need to be careful with that. Now, we're going to expanding that a bit. And I'll tell you, my own mind is changing. Uh, but that's what we say. We want to respect our tradition, but we're not going to be enslaved to our tradition. So I'm in the process of training the elders to serve it as well. Uh, and I'll train other people as well. Because I think we can preserve the sacredness of it uh, without being enslaved to our tradition. And we need to understand this is called a sacrament. That means it's an outward sign of an invisible spiritual reality. So what we're doing is something we can see and touch and feel, but it's something that's happening spiritually. So when you eat this bread, it's like you're taking Jesus inside of yourself again. You drink the cup, it's the same kind of thing. And the Lord's Supper, the third thing that we need to embrace is that the Lord's Supper, I'm going to use a big word here, is a constitutive tradition. Uh, what does that mean? It means that it's something that Jesus has imbued with a power to create something, to establish something. When we share the Lord's Supper together, it is constituting the body of Christ, the church. There's a power in that. It is shaping that reality in ways that we don't always see or understand. And it's been handed down by Jesus to be observed as such. That's there in 11.23. Now, a lot of people get caught out with this because they say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. That's not true. Every genuinely spiritual person will have some religion. You cannot have religion. I often ask this. Uh, if you're married, what side of the bed do you sleep on? Uh, and you can actually ask this if you're not married and you're in a double bed. You actually have a larger bed. Which side of the bed do you sleep on? And I will wager you that you will be like Karen and me, who in 37 years of marriage have never switched sides of the bed unless we were so terribly ill, like I was so terribly ill that I couldn't walk around the bed to get to the loo. You don't do that. Why not? Because you're religious. We're all religious. And it's because every relationship needs religion to sustain it. It needs ritual to sustain it. What time did we start the service today? 11 o'clock. What time did we start it last week? What time did we start it the week before? And the week before and the week. You get it. Now, why don't we just decide, well, you know, this morning, like when I got up, I didn't want to get up and go to church. I wanted to sleep in for a couple more hours. So why couldn't I just said, hey, let's wait and let's have the, have the service at 2 o'clock today. That's because most of you would have come at 11 o'clock and wondered why in the world are people not here. We need that ritual, that religion to sustain us. And the church needs the ritual that's embodied in a very few things. And the Lord's Supper is one of those few things to sustain it. The Lord's Supper is a remembering. 
We're like, do this in remembrance of me. But that word is more than your memory. Oh, yeah, I remember that Jesus died. No, it's the kind of remembering where you put yourself back in that time and in that place and relive it again. It's just like when Chet and I, we, we first got together uh, the uh, last autumn when he stopped through, we had a time of, oh, do you remember so-and-so? And such, and, oh, yeah, I remember that. And, uh, oh, do you remember how you helped me choose uh, a college, a university to go to? Oh, no, I didn't. But now I do. And, uh, and, and it's resharing our lives together. That's what do this in remembrance of me actually means when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And it remembers us. It connects us again to Jesus. And it remembers us to the body of Christ. Because you are the body of Christ. And what does Paul say? members thereof. So the Lord's Supper is a remembering. The Lord's Supper is a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of the wedding feast when Jesus comes again. It's a foreshadowing of that great time. I like to say it's like the, the starter, the hors d'oeuvres. It's a remembrance of that and at the same time a foreshadowing of that but at the same time a proclamation that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he is the only way to get into that wedding feast. And the Lord's Supper is a communal event, celebrated by individuals together. It is not, and never can be, an individual event celebrated by the community. It's a communal event. Uh, this whole idea of, oh, I'm going to go and give myself the Lord's Supper, that's not the Lord's Supper. It's not. The Lord's Supper invites the community to share together. Now, it might be a small group, a smaller uh, portion of that community, but the Lord's Supper always involves the church. It's not individualistic. And every individualistic practice of the Lord's Supper is in error. And every magical practice of the Lord's Supper is in error. Oh, let's take the Lord's Supper because, you know, I, I'm going to feel closer to Jesus. You know, that's magic. Let's take the Lord's Supper because if I take the Lord's Supper, uh, this person is going to get healed. That's magic. Well, and a lot of times in the body of Christ, we fall into these things. So we have to be watching what the scriptures say about this. So we must embrace the Lord's Supper as Jesus has given it, as Paul has shared it with us, and all of that's uh, embraced in the scriptures, and we must share the Lord's Supper as commanded by Jesus and guided by the Bible. So when we're sharing it together, we need to follow God's word in how we share it together. We need to remember what Jesus shared. Remember what he did. We are not free to do whatever we want when it comes to the Lord's Supper. We have something that we call, and most people don't know about, it's called the regulative principle. And the regulative principle is simply the Bible regulates our worship. The Bible tells us how to worship God. You know why I don't say, oh great mother in the sky, because that's not in the Bible. The Bible says, call me father, or you can call me Abba, daddy. But don't call me mommy, because I ain't your mommy. 
It's not there. Doesn't mean I, I've got a sermon on this. I don't want to preach another sermon. Uh, uh, but maybe I'll get to this later, later in the summer. We are not free to worship God outside of the confines of the scripture. Now, there's a lot of people, you know, who, who that makes them feel at ease. But let me tell you, it shouldn't. You know, because you look at some of the crazy things that God had people do in worship uh, in the Bible, you know, clapping your hands, dancing, uh, playing instruments, singing, even if you can't, uh, you know, a lot of different things like that that the Bible commands uh, that we need to do. Uh, so not crisps and OJ. Jesus gave it as bread and wine, the constituent elements of it. And it's bread and it's the fruit of the vine. Uh, and obviously, if we don't practice it right, Jesus and Paul said, there's problems here. Uh, you're guilty of the bloody and blood of Jesus. Uh, God will judge you. Uh, you can have weakness and sickness. You can even die, and you'll experience God's discipline. So it's important for us to get it right. And that's not only the Lord's Supper, but it's especially the Lord's Supper, but all of our worship. So accept and follow the tradition. And when Jesus said, you know, when Paul said, what I received from the Lord, I passed down, those words in the Greek indicate tradition. You cannot interpret those words outside of the concept that we understand tradition, something that is passed on. I feel like I should break out into, uh, you know, uh, what is that? Uh, Fiddler on the roof, tradition, tradition. But anyway, I won't do that because we could get cut off in the, uh, so, okay. So, so we have to do it like Jesus gave it to us. Now, thankfully, Jesus wasn't, and Paul weren't that very prescriptive. You have bread and wine, you do it in remembrance of Jesus, and you do it as part of a, the community. It's pretty basic and pretty good. It gives us a lot of flexibility from there. So to receive, to share the Lord's Supper, not only do we do it like Jesus told us, but we need to purify our allegiances. The Lord's Supper is a reminder. It's a time for us to say, I'm not going to follow any other gods. I'm not going to live with pride. I'm going to be humble before the Lord. I'm not going to worship pleasure. I'm not going to worship any worship leader, any church, any tradition, church uh, uh, de uh, denomination or anything like that. It's about Jesus, and it's Jesus, and I'm, a, I'm a, allied to Jesus, and I'm allied to the people of God with whom Jesus has placed me. Pledge yourself fully to Jesus. Then if we're going to practice it right, we need to examine ourselves. And we need to make sure that we're sharing in the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. But what does that mean? As I said, the Roman Catholic said, a worthy manner means that you, you look at this and you say, Jesus' actual body is here. But that's not the context of what Paul was saying. Paul is talking about the body as in the church, the body of Christ. And what were the Corinthians not doing? They were not discerning other people in the church and waiting for them to eat it. And so discerning rightly and, and, uh, and eating properly, doing it in a worthy manner, is recognizing the church. Repent of your sin, forgive others, and recognize the church. And that's what it means, the next thing, to rightly discern the body of Christ. 
It's when you take the Lord's Supper, you recognize that we're all part of one body and you yourself are part of that body. And that's true even for those joining us via Zoom. We're blessing this one loaf here, but we know that some of you can't be with us. And so we're also blessing the bread that you share and we're believing that this is all part of one body and we're all part of one body and we're sharing together. We're waiting for one another. We're eating together because you on Zoom are every bit as much a part of us as those who are gathered here in this place. We must affirm the body of Christ, the church, as the inheritor of this sacred sacrament and make sure that we're passing it down. And so in sharing this, we need to share together with other Christians as part of the church, the local body of Christ. The Lord's Supper is never an individual practice. The Lord's Supper is never a private event closed to other Christians. The Lord's Supper is always a community event open to the entirety of Christ's body who want to come together and share. And we'll remember this, we're honoring the sacredness of the, sacri of the sacrament. This is a tremendous gift for us. A tremendous gift for us whereby we renew our faith. We renew our confidence every time we share it together that Jesus Christ really did die on the cross. That Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. That Jesus Christ really did come and enter my life, enter my heart, get, make me born again. When I'm taking in this bread and, and drinking it from this cup, it's like Jesus is inside of me. And I know it, and I'm affirming it, and I'm declaring it, and I'm experiencing that reality all over again. And as I eat this from the one loaf and drink from the, the one cup, and we do that together, we're saying, yes, and together we are the body of Christ. Together we are the people of God. Together we are the people for whom Christ died. And not only us, but all the people who follow Jesus all around the world. Together we are the body of Christ. And together, maybe at different times in different places, together we are following this one practice. You might be singing your songs in Swahili, but you're taking in the bread and drinking the cup. You know, you, you, might be, you might be worshiping the Lord in Urdu, but you're taking in the bread and drinking the cup. You might be dancing for joy with Jesus in, uh, uh, in some crazy place in the United States. Many of you thought I was going to say Africa or South America. But Americans are crazy dancers too. And so, but, but, but we're all eating the same bread and the same cup. You might have flags. You might have guitars. You might have organs. Uh, yeah, you might have uh, no music, uh, instrumental music whatsoever. doesn't make any difference because we're all eating the same bread and drinking the same cup together in honor of Jesus. And together it's a proclamation that Jesus died on the cross and there's a free gift of grace for everyone in the world who will follow Jesus Christ. So come and eat and share and receive life in Jesus together. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that is trustworthy and true. Lord, encourage us as we share in the Lord's Supper this day. 
Help us to do it with excellence and with joy, with a sense of celebration and a sense of promise and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We praise you for this privilege of gathering together in this place around this table. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are present here with us in a unique and wonderful, special way. You're present with us in the bread and the cup. You're present here at this table, and we're sharing at this table together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've redeemed us from every nation and tribe and tongue to come together to worship you and to honor you and to bind ourselves yet again with you and with each other as we share the Lord's Supper together in this place today. And Lord, as we share this Lord's Supper together, we long for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we long that many of the seven and a half million people who don't know Jesus around us would also follow Jesus and join in that feast. And so as we pray, as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we do it as an intercession, crying out to you for this world to save the lost. To save those who are just proud of their sin. To save all by your grace through faith in your death and resurrection for us. Holy Spirit, come and be around us at this time. And let our sharing in this be an act of pure worship before you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We love you and praise you. We pray all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.